Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you guys this morning. Thank you for being here. Merry Christmas. I know it's still a couple weeks away, but we can start saying that now, right? So last Sunday, a friend of mine stopped me while I was out by the welcome desk, and uh, they're looking around the lobby. They're saying, Virgil, where are the Christmas decorations? It doesn't feel very Christmassy in here. So hopefully if that person's here today, uh, along with the rest of you, uh, it, it started to feel a little more like Christmas. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, that would be yes. It would feel more like Christmas. So just out of curiosity, though, I wonder how many of you have yet to begin decorating at your own homes? Okay, not, I mean, a couple of you need to work on it. The nine o'clock service, though, there was a lot of people that had not started decorating yet. I confess, though, uh, I've been pretty busy. I've got this remodeling project going on my house. My heater quit working in my trucks. So I had to work on it. Um, I've just been really, really busy. And up until this last Friday, all of the Christmas decorating in my house had been done by my wife. But this weekend, I broke out the ladder. I hung some lights. Um, not quite all done yet, uh, but it's getting there. So hopefully, um, the last remnants of you that have not done any decorating, you know, it's, it's time. It's time, right? <sighs> Rumor has it, um, and there's no judgment here, that at least one person in this church began doing their Christmas decorating back in October. The fact is, it's not a rumor, it's truth. They began doing their decorating back in October. And I, I had a conversation with that person, and I learned that not only did they start their decorating back in October, but they have, I believe, as many fully decorated Christmas trees in their house as I have actual rooms in my house. Wow. So what about shopping? How you guys doing? Anybody uh, got all their shopping done? couple of you. Looks like, you know, y'all you you got, got the decorating game? Strong. Shopping game? Weak. Okay, let's get on that, right? right? So while I was spending Thanksgiving Day in Philadelphia with my family, uh, it was really fun because we walked in, you know, saw my son and his wife and the three kids, and on the refrigerator was my oldest granddaughter's uh, start of her Christmas wish list, and it was very cute and very fun, um, and I thought that was adorable. And now, do you have one of those? A wish list, that is, not a fridge. I'm assuming you all have refrigerators, right? If not, let me know. We'll, we'll try to figure out one for you. But even if you don't have a wish list, even if you haven't put one together yet, it's my guess is that you are still staying pretty busy during this season, that you're busy shopping for others. You're busy, obviously, you guys are busy decorating your houses, right? You're going to Christmas parties. Maybe last week, some of you went to a Christmas parade. Um, you're picking out the perfect tree. Uh, I know a couple who actually got engaged while picking out the perfect tree this year. That was awful fun. And maybe you're making lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of Christmas cookies. But looking at the Christmas season and all that we associate with it, it's not too difficult to see how easily you and I can find ourselves getting caught up in all the trappings. We can easily find ourselves being too busy to stop and to savor the season. So let's just take a moment. Let's stop. Let's breathe, right? Listen, if you came in weary, if you came in exhausted, close your eyes, take a nap, watch the recording of this later, right? Get a snooze in. It's okay. But for those of us that are going to stay awake today, we are beginning our new teaching series here for the next three weeks called Hope 
for the holidays. Hope for the holidays. You know, to me, that is such an apt title of a sermon series because it's really easy to miss the hope that this season brings. We can find that we are caught in the frantic and in that frantic, we can forget to stop and savor the holiday. In the hustle and bustle, we can lose sight of the joy and the celebration that the season brings to us. I found myself just this week getting ready for a staff Christmas party on Friday, just going 100 miles an hour, getting things ready, and realized, man, I'm so busy working on the details that I'm missing the greatest detail. And I was able to slow down and realize why we were doing what it was uh, that we were doing. See, the way I see it, we probably all need to slow down. We probably all need to find our own hope for the holidays as we recognize that Christmas is more than parties and presents. Christmas is more than angels and shepherds. In fact, it's more than a manger and a stable. We have hope for the holidays because at Christmas, we experience God with us. God with us. Not God with some nation, not God with a bunch of perfect people, not God who can only be found in a temple or in a church building, not God who can only sort of be observed from afar, not even a God who kind of meets us halfway. No, in this season, if we'll but slow down and listen, we'll be reminded that Christmas is about God being with us. Let's pray. Jesus, as we uh, look at this <clears throat> season where we recognize and celebrate your birth, um, help us to be able to move past a cuddly baby uh, in a manger, surrounded by animals. Help us to move past the idea of, um, you know, just all the trappings that went along with the season. God, help us to move past the things that consume our hearts and our minds, those things that occupy us. But let us see that in this season that we can celebrate that you left your place in heaven to become one of us. Through this next 20 minutes or so and throughout this week and the remaining weeks as, as we lead up to the, to the birth of the celebration of your birth, help us to never lose sight that you're God with us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter one in our New Testament, he says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. <clears throat> His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. <clears throat> As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph... Son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Listen to verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us. God is with us. Now, see, throughout Jesus' ministry, he would wear a lot of other names, right? He would have a lot of other titles. 
You know, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I think I feel a song coming on here, right? Sorry if Handel gets stuck in your head for the rest of the day, right? You can thank me for that later. But the names of Jesus and the titles of Jesus, they go on. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And each one of those names is special and each one of those names is unique in its own way. But this one, Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, can you think about that for a moment? Can you let that sink in? In our day-to-day, most of us don't ever get to rub shoulders with royalty. Very few of us get to interact with the rich, the famous, the powerful. And if we did, it's generally a one-sided relationship, often involving a Sharpie marker with hopes that they would sign a piece of our clothing, right? But here we have it. We have God with us. Chances are we've heard those words before. Right? Chances are that idea, that that concept of God being with us, it's not something brand new. Uh, But the 24-7, 365 days a year truth that God left heaven, wrapped himself in human flesh, and chose to become one of us, well, it should not be easily or quickly forgotten. Yet in order for you and I to truly experience hope for the holidays, we need to be reminded of it. God with us. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the first book in in this bound together collection of books that we have, we call our Bible, the very first book, Genesis, in the third chapter, it talks about the idea that God himself walked with man in the garden that he had created. There was relationship there. There was closeness. But in that same chapter, we also read that man sinned, and when he sinned, it broke something. And see, when sin entered the world, it separated God and man. It severed their closeness. It put a chasm, a a, a gulf, a, a relationship divide between God and his creation. In fact, from that point forward, all through the Old Testament part of our Bibles, the the history of the the nation of Israel, we see basically a a God who is a God from afar, a a God who, though he was always at work, always seemed to be distant, you know, unapproachable, untouchable even. Granted, there were uh, some, some rare times you know, when, when they, there was a close relationship exhibited between very special people for a very special situation, God would show up in a dream or in a vision or in a cloud or in fire, and his presence could always be visited in a very special room in the back of the temple, uh, but that was only for the high priest. The commoners, you and me, we couldn't get in there. We couldn't go hang out with God in that holy of holy places. Even the covenant that God had with the nation of Israel, it was conditional. It was based on a bunch of rules. Rules that did not draw man into relationship with God, but instead rules that showed mankind that he just couldn't be good enough for an almighty God. But they also pointed the idea that someday there would once and, all, once and for all need to be a savior who would come and restore that broken relationship. And that's God with us, God with us. 
the birth of Christ in a lowly stable, heralded by angels, celebrated by shepherds. It reminds us that that was God's plan from get-go. It was the plan from the beginning. The birth of Jesus wasn't some kind of random celestial afterthought. It was always the plan that God and man would have their relationship restored. And it took God becoming a man to make it happen. We think about the birth of Christ, though it was hinted about in ancient stories, it wasn't expected. Though it was prophesied in the sacred writings, it wasn't anticipated. Though mankind needed him more than they needed life itself, rare was the person living in Israel at that time who was even looking for him, especially not the way that he would appear. And even if they had been looking for God to be coming down, how could they have imagined that the creator would enter the world as created. Emmanuel, a God with us. In his book, God Came Near, Max Licato writes these words. He says, chalk it up to an interruption. God taps humanity on its collective shoulder. Pardon me, he said. And eternity interrupted time. Divinity interrupted carnality. And heaven interrupted earth in the form of a baby. Christianity was born in one big heavenly interruption. Paul, the apostle, one who, who wrote many of the books in our New Testament, parts of our Bible, he kind of sums it up this way, writing to the church of Galatia, chapter four, verse four and five, he says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. See, when just the right time came, I wonder, as you consider your hope for the holidays, have you ever felt like you were distant from God? Were you ever feeling like you were separated from him? Have you felt like maybe God was even against you? That your sins, maybe your past, maybe even your present keep you just out of his reach? Have you ever felt like maybe God was only here for a select few or a select perfect few? Certainly not someone like me or someone like you. As we seek out our hope for the holidays, I want to remind you that God is so for each and every single one of us that he stepped into our mess and became one of us, God with us. See, the birth of Jesus should serve to remind us in our searching after our hope for the holidays. It should encourage us that God is no longer a God from afar, that he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. John, in his gospel, um, one of Jesus' closest followers, John writes these words. I'll be reading from the New International Version. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skipping down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And here's the cap. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God with us. And John reminds us that we have hope for the holidays because God took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Regarding Jesus, the writer of the book of Hebrews had this to say in Hebrews chapter four. He says, this high priest of ours, again, talking about Jesus, this high priest of ours, he understands our weakness for he faced all the same feelings we do. Yet he did not sin. You see, when God took on flesh, when in Jesus, he took on the full experience of humanity. He experienced our struggles. He experienced our temptations. He experienced our frustrations just as we do. Can you imagine leaving your place of power, position, and prestige? You're a CEO, you're a president, you run your own business, and yet you take a step down to become the minimum wage entry-level worker. Kind of reminds me of the TV show, right? Undercover Boss, some of you might remember that, where corporate execs would take low-level jobs in their own companies just to see what that was like. I mean, if you can begin to wrap your arms around that, try to wrap your arms around this. God leaving his rightful place in heaven and living as a man with all the trials and temptations as a human. And if that weren't enough, dying on a cross for the very people that he created. That's exactly what happened with Emmanuel, God with us. It's no wonder Paul could write to the church at Philippi these words regarding Jesus and our attitude toward him. It's Philippians chapter two. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. My friends, Jesus was God wrapped in human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the Christmas story indeed. And although some might be content to leave, you know, leave him as a baby, right? A cute, cuddly baby tucked away in a manger. God did not become one of us so he could just be worshipped as a baby. It's hard to imagine, but he grew up, right? There were poopy diapers. There were cutting teeth. And there were learning to walk. And as he grew, his voice got deeper and he got armpit hair, right? Uh, he was real. God became flesh. Singer-songwriter Rich Mullins in one of his songs regarding the humanity of Jesus asked these random questions. Did you wrestle with a dog and lick his nose? Did you play beneath the spray of a water hose? Did you ever make angels in the winter snow? See, God becoming one of us, becoming human was not simply enough. 
fully God yet fully man. He grew up, he left his father's carpenter shop. He began a ministry and preached a message of love and forgiveness. And in his ministry, he earned the reputation as being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was accused of breaking the very laws that he wrote. He was ostracized for loving the people that he created. And over and over again in scripture, we see Jesus, God in human flesh, empathizing with people's weakness, grieving in their sorrow, encouraging faith in their times of doubt, and freeing people from the bondage of their sin. As we read through the New Testament, we see these examples that God became one of us so the woman at the well who had been through five marriages could bring salvation and its message to her village. So that Zacchaeus, the despised Jewish tax collector, could repent and give back everything that he stole. You see, God became one of us so that the woman caught in the act of adultery would not be stoned by her accusers as the law required. God became one of us so that mankind could be filled with hope. God became one of us so that no matter our brokenness, no matter how many times we have failed, God became one of us so that no matter our past, no matter our reputations, no matter our labels, that in him we could find hope for the holidays. See, that's not all, though. See, God became one of us so that this man, Lazarus, could be raised from the dead, so that the blind could see. God became one of us so that the lame could walk and so that the man possessed could be set free of a legion of demons. You see, God became one of us so that mankind could be filled with hope. And God became one of us so he could walk with us through our sicknesses. He could grieve with us in our losses. He, God became one of us so he could bring healing and life and in him that we, you and I, could find hope for the holidays. Oh, but there's even more. You see, God became one of us so that after Peter denied that he even knew him, uh, he could be restored. So that the thief hanging on the cross next to him could be saved. Yes, God became one of us so that the very ones who called for Jesus' crucifixion and then carried it out so that from the cross he could declare, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Yes, God became one of us so that mankind could be filled with hope. He became one of us in spite of the times we've turned our backs on him or lived our lives in opposition to him or cried out even against him. God became one of us so that we could be saved by him and that in him we could find hope for the holidays. See, if God is with us, and he is, if God is Emmanuel, there is nothing that any of us have endured or experienced that he cannot relate to or love us through. There is no pain in our lives that he is ill-equipped to understand, no temptation that he has not wrestled with, no hurt, no grief, no frustration that he does not or cannot meet us in. And that is amazing in and of itself. But God was so with us that he would live a perfectly, perfect life and eventually die on a cross in our place. God became one of us because God is so for us. And as you pursue your hope for the holidays, my prayer is that you will seek him that you will seek him, 
See, during his ministry on earth, people crowded on mountainsides just to hear him. They climbed up trees so they could see him. They tore open roofs to get to him. They followed him in boats so they could be with him. They touched his garment to be healed by him. They even came to him at night in secret just to gain an audience with him. And as you pursue hope for your holidays, will you seek him? Will you choose to find him? Will you choose to be with him? Christmas reminds us that God left heavenly comfort for the old rugged cross, and it was there he died to pay the price for your sins and mine, those sins that separated us from him. He came so we could be brought back together. And if you've never done so, will you choose to accept him? Will you choose to accept him? Christmas reminds us that God didn't come just to be with us. He came to bring life to us. And he came knowing that he would die for us. It's ironic, isn't it, that in the Garden of Eden, the very first sin was symbolically covered by God shedding the blood of an innocent animal, taking its life, and then clothing Adam and Eve with its skin. Thousands of years later in the town of Bethlehem, an innocent God put on human skin so that one day by shedding his blood and giving his life, that our sin could be completely removed, forgiven, made clean, made new. Uh, Christmas reminds us that we can have hope for the holidays whether you think that you're unlovable, untouchable, unforgivable, his love is there for us, God with us. When you think about it, how audacious, how unheard of, how scandalous, how unimaginable that God would become one of us, but mostly how undeserving we are that he would. Yet, that's Emmanuel. That's God with us. Christmas reminds us that God is with us. I want to wrap up this morning with a story. It's not a true story. It didn't really happen. But I think the point is is good. A dad stood at the top of a stairway playing a little game with his kids. His kids are all standing down at the bottom. He says, here's the game, guys. You got to get to where I am. You've got to get from there up here to me, but you cannot touch the stairs. Now, some of you kids are already thinking, I would figure out a way to swing from the lights, climb the railings, whatever. I'd make it happen, but we'll just skip that for the sake of the story. The children got together and they thought and they talked and they realized that by their own will and their own strength and their own power, that they could never get up the stairs without touching them to get to the father. One of the kids finally said, hey, dad, Could you come down here, please? And so the father, the loving father, came down, and the boy climbed on his back, and the dad went back up the stairs and took him to the top. And the loving father did that again and again, down and up, down and up, down and up, bringing each of the children up to the top, taking all of his kids to the place where they could have never gotten to on their own. And that's what this story is about. That's why Jesus came as a baby. That's why God with us, to take us where we could never, ever get to on our own. God became 
man so that we could live forever with him. All of this through the birth of a baby that we celebrate in our hope for the holidays. That's where we find our hope for the holidays. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your birth. God, we, we thank you for your life. Um, that you grew up and you experienced life as a human being. Puberty and all. Um, frustrations and all. Hurts and all. Temptations and all. All the things that we deal with and wrestle with. And then you lived a perfect life and gave yourself as a sacrifice for us. We didn't earn it. Uh, we certainly didn't deserve it. Um, but that's our hope for the holidays. That you became God with us so that we could be reunited in our relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.